Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Hey, listen, the whole thing is not going to be serious this morning. We no, hey, he started it. I came in perfectly happy. I had cramps. Uh, I was hoping someone would offer me something. I mean, I've seen cheap in my time, fellas. Hey, wait a minute. This is like working with Andre Barusha and B. Wayne. There's nothing here. <laughs> Yet. Anyway, Jerry's going to be here for a while. I'm going to leave. I have to catch you, an airplane from Minneapolis. It, I have a football some, game You're tomorrow. going to Minneapolis I'm going on to purpose? purpose? <laughs> I'm going, yes. Voluntarily? Deliberately going, Are yes. you nuts? I really am. You know how they got Minneapolis? No. <laughs> they cloned Buffalo. <laughs> anyway. Hello? <laughs> this is what you came in here this morning to get paid for? <laughs> Wait a minute. I, we haven't started yet. You these, mean to tell me that this is on the dinner? These you are do the this, these... and then you go to a place no, where no, they no. have a check? No, 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 no. These are preliminaries. Have you no shame? None whatever. <laughs> None whatever. Listen, I got to ask Jerry Lewis a, a question at the very beginning. I, I got to get this off my chest because I don't know how he handles it. I alluded to this a few minutes ago with Bill Burke. It seems to me that in America right now there is a clique, and it's known as uh, "Let's Get Jerry." Uh, really? It's not the first time it's ever happened to Lewis. I mean, he's kind of, I, I just want to know how you handle it. There are people who don't handle it as well as you. I think. Uh, you have to handle it based on uh, mathematics. The let's get Jerry, as it were, whatever that syndrome is, if it's uh, 100,000 people, that's a large number. Uh, I can show you some millions that uh, don't agree. And if, you, if it were in reverse, I probably would have taken my life eight, nine months ago. Yeah, but it's got to <laughs> No, no, it's got to hurt. It's of gotta... course it hurts. I don't understand a lot of it, and I do understand a lot of it. I provoke a lot of it. I have a, a point of view, I say things, I fight for the, the working man, I fight for my crew, I, I open up my mouth about things that I'm not totally equipped to deal with, but I have emotions about it. And you make an awful lot of enemies. People would like you to lay back, be placid like them, and let the world go by whether it spins or not. And I, I'm not going to leave this place without letting them know I cared about something while I was here. And you're going to make enemies. How many times a day or a week or a month do you say, oh, why did I do that? Never. Never. I really don't. Based on, a, I know that sounds terribly obnoxious, but it's true. I have no fear of saying I'm wrong. Therefore, I have no fear of anything. I am prepared to be right about what I say. If you tell me I'm wrong and out of line, I will immediately say, I apologize, and I promise I'll do my homework. Now, when you were prepared for that, the one thing that the human condition fears most is, whoops, oh, I was wrong. I don't have any fear about being wrong, because I've been right 37 times. Two wrongs are not that terrible. So, therefore, I say and do as I please, and if I was out of line, I'm going to say, hey, I'm entitled, but I took a shot. But to lay back and be timid, I have six sons that I said the following to. Here's a line. There's ten people over on this side. I'm telling you in front, three people are going to spit in your face. Are you going to stay on this side of the line and not get the other seven kisses and hugs? No way, pal. Cross the line. If it's the first, second, and third that spit in your face, you got seven kisses and hugs coming. If you are timid enough to settle for those mathematics, you don't deserve to live in this life. And that's how I feel. Jerry Lewis decided to, to tell it all, finally. I just got depressed. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> 
Yeah, but you must have had to make some awful s decisions as to, hey, how much am I going to tell? Where am I? How deep am I going to go into myself? Well, I, I, I had a big, big problem because when you get into telling of your life, there's no way you can fool with that. Plus the fact I'm ruthlessly honest anyhow, which you know. Uh, that'll get you in trouble. You just don't say to the manager of the station's wife, that's a dumb-looking dress. And I have been known to do that, and not meaning to be offensive, you can get in a lot of trouble. I but you better tell the truth when you write this kind of a book. I love what you told... Who was it, Luella Parsons? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Little... <laughs> sweet Luella. <laughs> she was not a very nice lady to a lot of people. She was very nice to me. But I always felt I had to get on that damn white horse for whatever the reason. My grandma used to say to me, you have a Sir Lancelot complex. You hope someone's in trouble so you can jump on an imaginary horse and help them. You're not equipped to help them. You haven't got the funds to help them. And you probably don't know what the hell to do when you do ride on the horse. But you love to go and help. Well, Luella was knocking everybody's brains out. And she had tremendous clout. And if she wrote something in her column, it would absolutely mean someone wasn't going to get a job. Well, I'm very crew-oriented, very oriented with the working guy. And don't fool with them, because there's always someone that can protect and defend them. Everyone has someone to answer to. Well, I had a belly full of Luella, and as nice as she was to me, they had this birthday party for her, and I saw 200 or 300 people, everybody from Clark Gable to Greer Garson, stand up when she walked into the room. And my spine would not submit to that kind of garbage. And I was the only one that sat. Whose table do you think she was sitting at? Mine. So that all she could see was Jerry Lewis sitting while everyone else was standing. She looked at me, she said, are you having a problem or are you not well? I said, I feel terrific. But I'll only stand up for Her Majesty, the Queen or the President of the United States. And I got <laughs> up and I left. So the next day there was a whole column about the difficult Jerry Lewis. Uh, I don't think you're going to find him difficult. It's about 17 and a half minutes after 10 on WGN in Chicago. Jerry Lewis dropped by. He finally did it, told a story, and it's now in, I guess, all the local bookstores. Did you walk up and down Wabash Avenue to make sure it was in the window? Or? Not yet. I plan on it. All right. Actually, uh, Jerry's going to be in town, and we'll be making some in-store appearances, which we'll get to a little later on if you want to get down and say hello. We got a busy morning here, though. I'm doing some other radio shows and some television <gasps> shows and some other things. You, you might be heard or seen in a, another medium. I, 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 I hope to God. Good. Well, Chicago, you, Chicago has been a good city for Jerry Lewis, hasn't it? You bet. The old Shapery days. Oh God. I was telling the driver, Roberta is our driver, I was telling her this morning about the old Rio Cabana, and she had never heard of it. I haven't either. The Rio Cabana was right, you know the little bridge that's to the right of the Sears Tower? goes over that little waterway. That's the uh, Chicago River. Okay. The, yeah. I wasn't sure what, what it was. But that little bridge, right. one half block across there was the old Rio Cabana that played the acts that couldn't quite make the shapery. All right. Okay? Run by a man named Joe Jacobson, interestingly. No relation to Joey Jacobson, who ran the shapery. Well, I played there the year before Dean and I teamed up. And I, that was my introduction to some of the Freshetti boys mm -hmm. and guys that <laughs> later became very, very good friends of mine. And, and uh, I had met Joey Jacobson of the Chez Paris while I played there. And I said, gee, I'd love to play the Chez Paris. He said, a lot of people would like to play the Chez Paris. That was his way of saying, you're doing fine in this little rat hole you're in. But uh, that goes back 1944, late 40 for early 45 
And Dean, interestingly, played the Rio Cabana, was playing it when I called him one year later to join me in Atlantic City. He was appearing with Buddy Lester at the Rio Cabana. <laughs> Pardon me. And then, of course, we came back one year later and did play the Chaparie. We came in for four weeks and played there 50, 50, 50 even, 50 weeks. You mentioned something in the book, <clears throat> speaking of the boys, and how, I forget, you call You want to hear about shoe tan camera coming? <laughs> I'll <laughs> no. tell you about that. You want to talk about Chicago? No, but the shaking, the, the handshake, the Chicago handshake. You bet. And how important. They, they taught me what commitment was. And when I say they, I mean all of the, the, the heavyweights in Chicago. And I, I wheeled and dealed with them only based on the fact that I was a performer. And the, the, uh, the energy level with which they impose upon you based on commit and be. Don't commit and you're fine. But if you shake a man's hand, man, there isn't anything more binding. And you learn the hard way when you're 18 years old. You know, this is the thing that surprised me. I've uh, read about Jerry Lewis. We've talked before. and uh, But... I, I don't, know, I, I, I don't read the columns, I guess, and uh, I never thought much about how Jerry Lewis grew up, what he did. And I'll I tell you, the thing that amazed me was the fact that when here's a kid who's like 16, 17, 18 years old, he is doing what most of us wait until we're 20, uh, lucky enough, 22 or 23 or 24 to do. I mean, here you were like an old man at 20, as far as show business yeah. is concerned. Well, I had been performing already almost... Yeah. Uh, 15 years I, I when I was 20. I didn't know that. Sure. I didn't, and if I, I didn't know that your dad was a, a vaudevillian. He was the best performer you ever saw in your life. As a matter of fact, I'm still rehearsing, trying to do it right. He was a great, great comic, great singer, great entertainer. Everything. And yet, you had the problem with your dad that a lot of people do, whose parents are trying to be successful, who are sort of torn between what it is they want to do most and taking care of those things that are closest to them, like a kid that they brought into the world. Yeah, my dad settled for expediency. He, he didn't have to drive. He had, well, he would make me in my best possible professional appearance look like an amateur, and anyone else. But he, he, he was satisfied with his lot. He played the Borscht circuit and burlesque, and he was very happy as long as he fed mom and me and he really had no push to do any more. I think I benefited by that. There was somebody in your life, though, who uh, met at times, I guess, almost more than even mom or dad. You mentioned grandma a little yeah. while ago. Yeah, she was very special. She was like, like when you go to the Vatican and you see all of the saints, I think she was a composite of all of them. She was saintly. I guess there's all, isn't there somebody in, in all of our lives who, sometimes it's a relative, maybe it isn't even a relative. There is someone that when you can't, go to the person who's closest to you, you have to go to them. Yeah, you have to talk to them or get advice. Or They're the thing I, I, I scream out about today that we don't have enough of. They're heroes. My grandma was a hero to me. She was like Babe Ruth whacking it out of the park. She was like Mario Andretti. She was like the Brown Bomber. She was a champion. She was uh, Amy Semple McPherson and she was Madame Curie. Mm. She was all that stuff. That's a hero. Well, Jerry tells about Grandma and all those other things that maybe you never knew about before. It's a book called Jerry Lewis in Person. By the way, you laid some news on us about 20 minutes ago, but you kind of snuck it in. Five hundred million. Million dollars. Thirty-two years. How much longer are we going to go? How much more work we got to do? You opened up this year with some great news. but Yeah, those inroads are fantastic. It, it's just, it's like... Uh, 
I think the only way that I can, I can put it succinctly is it's like measuring the ocean with a cup. When you're talking about something that's been with us for eons, you know, we're dealing, 32 years is more than half my lifetime. But with what we're dealing with, I treat that 32 years like it's been about 55 seconds. And I hope to God by the time I'm at it, 12 minutes, we'll have the cure. Mm -hmm. Because it was disguised, Roy. And you've heard and read an awful lot of the stuff, the literature that comes out of our office in ER. We keep going back further. Researchers tell us it wasn't 3,000 years ago. It was 9 and 10. And that Black Plague was very often... Uh, misdiagnosed and and when you're dealing in that kind of time you know our time frame when i first started 32 years ago i hoped i could get some inroads made and then i'll die and someone will pick up the banner but i think we're going to see it in this lifetime well we want to because uh i'm curious as to everybody else at why it all started and you're not going to tell it until the day you you keep saying i don't really think that's important i think the important thing is that i do it mm. listen uh the uh the get-together every year I discovered from reading the book was something that for a while you didn't want to do at all. In fact, this guy had to be conned, if you will. He had to be pressured into getting the telethon going after... Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I, I was always worried about showcasing. I was always worried about what I do get accused of, and that's using it as a, as a, a personal opportunity which has never been the case but you get to a point where you start seeing the likes of mary pasquale that, that i danced with that was given last rites and then a year later she's dancing with me mm -hmm. when you look at those kinds of things and the matthew browns of the world then you don't really care about what people say you just i gotta get get it done it's very interesting you you mentioned earlier in the in the program roy uh the get jerry lewis i don't remember how you worded it it uh, seems to be there's a clique. Yeah, we've got a, a couple. Clique, of, yeah, we got well. We got a couple of guys in this town, for instance, who are on the radio. We got a couple of columnists here and there, L.A., New mm -hmm. York, and they're they're not organized, but they're all trying to do the same thing. And uh, I just I admire the fact that you can just say, hey, you know, ignore it. I I'm not sure that you do. Not but, totally. <laughs> no, it bothers me, particularly yeah. when I hear someone like you tell me that that's happening and that's yeah. out there. Other than the, the the garbage that I know about or the stuff I see. I think there's a very, very interesting thing. Uh, we had never heard, for example, and we're probably one of the most organized organizations of its kind in the world. We had never heard in the first 26 years one word negative about our fearless leader, that Jerry Lewis did anything other than what he was doing and the reasons that he did it. The moment Watergate happened, that's when we started to hear, does Jerry Lewis get paid for his work? Does Jerry Lewis showcase himself on that telethon, et cetera, et cetera. And the mail mm. started to become 20 and 25 letters. Well, that to me is like millions. Whereas for 26 solid years, never any such thoughts. Well, in traveling the world, I have decided that I am just a very small piece of dust on this planet. And that kind of heat I can deal with when I see around the world what Watergate has done. Yeah, we become awful cynical, I guess. Well, you know, you're back to heroes again. When that office is soiled, what is the first thing that a mother says when the baby's, the umbilical is cut? Could be the President of the United States. Yeah. Well, that's our training, our upbringing. We all look at that. I've been in the Oval Office seven times. I should say many more times than that, but for seven presidents. It's awesome. 
It's the kind of humility and the kind of humble that develops within your soul that is very indefinable, very difficult to describe. And now to have that office shabby, dirtied up, etc., you're going to have a pessimistic world, yeah. and it's going to take a great many years before we recover from that. One of your visits to the Oval Office uh, uh, left you the recipient of a plaque, yeah. uh, which uh, just it, it sums up, I think, what you try to do, uh, and it was something that John Kennedy gave you. Yes. And it's a phrase, uh, if he exposed what this little saying. There are three things that are real, God, human folly, and laughter. Since the first two are beyond our comprehension, we must do the best we can with the third. You can listen to Jerry Lewis and the Roy Leonard Show. You can buzz around on the 1st of October on a Friday. You can pick up a book called Jerry Lewis in Person. And it's published by Athenium, by the way. Do you have a schedule of the stories you're going to be at, or should we get it from somebody in the... Do you know where you're going to be? I, yeah, I have a schedule, but I, I'm not sure that, uh, that I know where they are. I know I'm going to be at uh, Marshall Field at okay. B. Dalton's. Uh, I'm going to be at uh, other book places. Will you sign books and stuff? And I'll and... sign books and stuff. Have you ever done that, by the way? Have you ever done the bookstore bit? Because no. this is a whole new thing. It's know? a whole new thing we, for me. I think you're going to be in for some surprises. Many people who have never done this before yeah. are amazed. I, mean, I, it's... I don't know what to look forward to other than it's new and it's exciting. It might be another book. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Well, the first one was, uh, the first book was strictly film, and it didn't call for this kind of a tour. Hey, speaking of film, I want two things I got to ask you because there you made a movie of a of a Kurt Vonnegut novel called Slapstick, and everybody knows you made it. I happen to have some Vonnegut fans in my house, and everybody says, "Well, when is it coming out?" And frankly, they're not really sure because they're not, you know, is it going to be Vonnegut or is it going to be Jerry Lewis no. interprets Kurt Vonnegut? No, no, no. Jerry Lewis just portrays a character. It's Kurt Vonnegut. It's off the wall. I mean, Madeline Kahn, who I think is about the funniest, most marvelous lady. I've ever worked with. She is seven feet three inches tall, and I am seven feet three inches tall, and we are brother and sister twins <laughs> who are confronted by three inch Chinese people. So if you want to know if it's off the wall Vonnegut, mm -hmm. the problem with it, as I see it, is that Jerry Lewis should not be billed in slapstick because it reeks of Jerry Lewis and slapstick, and that's not what it's about. So when I, are we going to see it? It should be a February or March release, but I'm I'm guessing. We were, and I thought we were going to see uh, King of Comedy with you and De Niro. Yeah, I thought we were going to see that at Christmas. December third was the release date, yeah. and I heard just before I came into Chicago that they were planning to push it till late January or something. There is another movie that you write about in the book, Jerry. Smorgasbord. Uh, I just well, I'm not. Through, no, I'm still scoring and. I, no, I was thinking of the day the clown cried. Oh, oh, oh. I'm Will sorry. we ever get to see that? Well, from what I'm told, the French-Swedish co-production situation. There's four or five films that are held up in Sweden. One or two by Bergman. One of mine, uh, Louis Malle has one. They're in deep trouble because they were contemporary films. Mm -hmm. I'm l less unfortunate because I made a period film. And if we get the go-ahead, hopefully this summer, we'll all be able to finish our films. Because the Swedish and the French hit a, uh, an impasse of some kind. To this day, this is almost 11 years, we do not know what really stopped the productions right in their tracks. <clears throat> so if I get the go-ahead, I'm the only one that's really got a chance. Do you go to the movies a lot? Do you see most of the films that come out? 
when I'm when I get a chance, I run into a theater, but I'm very delinquent. Mm. I, 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 I'm curious as to what you might have seen that that you really enjoyed. Well, let's start with E.T. I saw E.T. in its first showing in Cannes in May, and Steven Spielberg, who was one of my students, stood up and took bows that night from the finest filmmakers of the world. And I had goose flesh that had to stand three inches high. And he's in the balcony taking the kind of ovation I have never, ever experienced in my theatrical career. And he pointed to me in the orchestra in the third row. And he was acknowledging, there's my teacher. Now, mm. at dinner after the theater, he put his arms around me and whispered in my ear, is my teacher proud of me? <laughs> I said, what teacher? You were in my class a couple of years. You had it all long before that. I wouldn't have taught you to have sharks bite Jewish ladies in the Torah Center. <laughs> but it was, for me, E.T. is the, the optimum. It's the total, handsomely mounted, magnificently made, Romeo and Juliet, Pygmalion, hero, but father, you know, son. He, the good thing about Spielberg, he isn't afraid to let the world know that he has a child's view of... I mean, we all do, but of course. we hold it back. You know, we don't want to do it. Oh, wait a minute, that wouldn't be right. What that, are people going to say? That's why children are so precious, because they haven't been taught not to say what they feel. Right. You have, somebody once wrote a song, you have to be taught. Exactly. Remember? Rogers and Hammerstein. I think you're out of business. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, Hello? I thought he did a good job, Nikki. Oh, I think he was... Just, I wonder how old he is. I'm 56. I'll be 57 March the 16th. I was born 1926, and I wear a nine-and-a-half shoe, and I'm oh, 60. I thought you were nine going on ten. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm nine uh, when I fool around a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been watching your movies for a long time, and I went every year on my birthday. That was my birthday treat. My mother would take me to see a Jerry Lewis movie. Oh, you lost the toss, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and you've just gotten, you haven't gotten older. You've gotten crazier, more entertaining. Um, I just, I think you're wonderful, all the causes, I think you're great. Thank you. And I just want to know what, how do you stay so crazy without totally losing your mind? You stay uh, totally crazy so that you don't lose your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the world needs a little more insanity to level off. Uh, hey, we Nikki. have to have laughter. After all that, that's been going on in Chicago lately, yeah. the last two days, if we don't laugh, we're, we're going to lose our minds. Nikki, let me tell you a story. Jerry, I won't tell the whole story. Jerry tells it in the book. He wants really, and there comes a point in everybody's life when you think you've got to go see a shrink. Mm -hmm. So he, he did. He went to see a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist discovered something in the what, the first half hour that you were talking to him. Right. He said, if I, if I sit and let you talk to me and I try to cure you, you might not be funny anymore. Mm. I guess, what, yeah. you, you have but to he, pain. He made me come up with the diagnosis. He, he just said, you cannot be a patient with me. Mm. And he said, when you can tell me the why of that, then you'll be okay. That was interesting. Well, Great. I'm glad you had the radio on this morning, Nikki. Thanks a lot. We'll share some more. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My uh, natural curiosity has finally got the best of me, but Jerry Lewis came into the studio about 10 minutes before airtime, and he had with him a machine, and he kind of he gave me one of these strange looks, and he says, have I got something for you? I've been avoiding it for 45 minutes. I don't think I can avoid it much longer than this. Do you always carry that thing around with you? I thought at first it was a Walkman. No, it's a tape recorder. I, I record all of the interviews and all the things I do only because I, I love to have a record of everything I do. Mm -hmm. I rarely listen to it unless there's something specific I need to. Like I had an argument with, with Sam. She said, I did say something with Mike Douglas. I said, no, I didn't. Oh. And it's a wonderful thing to have to relate to. And lawyers like to have things like that, too. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. Let me tell you what happened. In, um, 
in all of the years that I've been doing the telethon, uh, it usually, it pe people break me up. They say, "What's it? How can you do that 24-hour thing?" Well, that's a piece of cake. It's the 11 months of work getting the show on and so forth. Uh, I went on the air this year uh, at about 48 hours or 49 hours of constant driving, no sleep, so that by the time I was through, we're talking about uh, 68, 70, about 70 hours. And I then have a production meeting with my staff because my mind is, I'm wired. There's no way I can lay down. So I went about 77 hours without sleep. But this time, in the 73rd hour, I, was, I made the post-production meeting a lot shorter. So I was in about the 73rd hour when I sit on the couch in my home, having just come from Caesars, and I flip to GN Chicago, and there's Roy Leonard on the screen. And I am watching what I have had to assume has been completed, the work is done, and I'm sitting there for two solid hours, and I'm watching you from Chicago. It's the most unbelievable experience I can ever recall happening. I mean, it's my, my baby is still going on, and I'm not there. I'm finished. I wrapped it. Well, I had forgotten that the baseball game forces the two-hour delay of the telethon, and I'm sitting there like a viewer. I know Roy Leonard. I, know, I remember our meetings and our, our uh, brief encounters, as it were. But I'm watching, and I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm seeing how you work and how you care. And I was getting such a kick out of it while I was also being given a shot at looking at what most people had just gotten through looking at. And it was a wonderful feeling, and it hmm. came across beautifully, and I was proud and delighted, and I wanted to tell that to you on the air. You really, the lovely part of what you do is what you said about a man off the air before. You are on the air, what you are and you're uh, I don't have to blow smoke I'm stuck with this show now anyhow for the past hour <laughs> and there's not a hell of a lot I can do because I don't have to be anywhere till noon so please know that my appreciation is only exceeded by my gratitude and my respect because you have the capacity to let the people see that you care and that means heat because I think that the human condition is such that people almost resent when a man can bear his soul and they resent it primarily because they are incapable of bearing their soul those that can bear their soul will see the Roy Leonard in front of that camera as I did and it it's the kind of accommodation that you're entitled to that you should get because I think that so few people anymore open up and give some love and care and concern that those that do it I don't want to lose them so you need commendations so that it'll pump you up to do it again for me Thank you. That's about as nice as I'm going to be to you all day. <laughs> you know what? You know, now you, you've led me into something that I never thought would happen on the air. Do you know why I asked you a little while ago about the slings and arrows and how you, you know, bear up under it in a very minor way? I mean, it's infinitesimal compared to what you have gone through in your life. Uh, because outside of Chicago, the name Roy Leonard doesn't mean that much. Jerry Lewis is known all over the world. But... Uh, lately, I started reading the nasty mail. You know, I, I, I used to ignore it, and I'd say, if they don't sign the letters, I don't want to see them. Right. But I started looking at, every once in a while, I told my secretary, let me see it. I really want to know. Yeah. And it's be, it started to get to me a little bit, and I said, 
you know, hey, I'm me. I I'm sorry. This is me. Take me for what I am or don't take me. Please don't uh, let it get to your room. Okay. Please don't. Because that one letter is like the thing in the book. At the London Palladium, in front of Her Majesty the Queen, I did the best show of my career. I've never been funnier. I knew it at the time it happened. I did 90 solid minutes of everything I know how to do, and I had my first standing ovation. This was at a time when standing ovations did not happen. It wasn't chic. It wasn't at a dinner theater where people, uh, everyone stands up at the end of a, any performer. It could be uh, Hunts Hall and, and, and uh, Patsy Kelly having an affair from an aerial view photograph and everyone stands up and it's an ovation. I'm talking about the real thing. Black tie, 4,999 people stood up in mass and I'm bowing before Her Majesty, but all I could see was the one man in the third row that was sitting. Now that's the human condition, right? right. right. I walked off that stage, I said to one of my sons, I said, there was a guy sitting. I got a standing ovation, my first in my life. I dreamed of maybe that would happen. And my son, who at the time was 12, said, you're talking about the one and forgetting 4,999? That's not fair to them. And you're talking about the one letter? There's 4,000 out there that you haven't had time to peruse that say, Roy, you're a sensitive, caring man that gave me some incentive to care a little. Those are the important letters. The one you're talking about, you really have to write off. You must. Otherwise, they will get you to where they are. And you will succumb. And all of a sudden, Roy Leonard won't be there anymore, nor will he care anymore. And one letter does not have, should not have that kind of power over us. Thank you. My teacher. Now, if I could remember what I told you, I'll be in good shape. <laughs> it's five minutes before 11. Hey, I don't know. I'm monopolizing the conversation. I shouldn't do it because some of you want to talk to Jerry, too. It's interesting. One of the things that Jerry tells, and he's taking pictures in the studio, but one of the things he talks about in his book is there were, I forget which movie you were making, but he is spending all of his time up on the catwalk behind. He's trying to find out how you make these things, and somebody is, Hal Wallace or somebody is saying, get that guy in front of the cameras. We need him. <laughs> You've always had a fascination with what went on on the other side well, as well. I am prouder of uh, five of my 15 union cards are technical. Technician cards. Wow. Uh, Nabit, as you know, is engineering, mm -hmm. uh, cinematography, editing. Uh, my my love of the creative aspect of the behind the scenes is just well. If you're going to be a total filmmaker, you want to know what the DBs are. You want you want to know about the emulsion. You want to know about the camera load. You want to know it all. And you should, if you mean to be the total filmmaker. So I I learn from. A number of the crew that just finished this last film with me, over the years, they were my teachers. You know, if you want to find out about an engineer and how these lovely miracles of modern-day radio go out to the people at home, go to the engineer and ask him questions. He's going to be delighted to tell you. Hmm. He's not going to look at you like you're nuts. He's delighted that you do not have the information he has, and he has that feeling of, my God, there's something that I can talk about that... I have taken years to learn that someone else is interested in. You're a curious person, too. Voracious curiosity. How the By the way, how are the kids? How's the family? They're terrific. The Everybody. boys are well? All super. Oh, God. Six of... Well, Ron, you know, he's six, three and a half. He's 245 pounds of muscle. Two more like him and we could take Moscow. <laughs> They're all fine. They're Good. terrific. 
It's uh, six minutes after 11 now on WGN in Chicago. All right, a lot of you have been waiting on the telephones. Jerry Lewis is here. He's written a book with the help of Herb Gluck called Jerry Lewis in Person. Did you have a question, Mike? Yes, I did. Jerry, we got a fan of yours in here in our office. Her name is Barbara Dutzig. She's been dying to meet you for the last 20 years. She's been a fan of yours. She called you the main man. Just curious, is there any stores you'll be sending your books anywhere around here in this general area? Oh, uh, well, yes, as a matter of fact. Uh, okay, can I do it? Yeah, can I do it? All right. please do. Uh, well, see, I just put my glasses on, Mike, and I figure I might as well use them. There was a big ad in the... Uh, Crocs and Brentanos had an ad in the paper this morning, and oh, Jerry's going to... Yeah, and he's going to be at the Crocs store in Water Tower Place Sunday, this Sunday from 1230 to 1.30, and then down at the Wabash store, the Wabash Avenue store, Monday from 1230 to 1.30. So there are a couple of places that you uh, can meet him. And okay. maybe maybe she can come by and we can meet finally. Well, that's what she's been dying to do for the last 20 years. Well, if she'd have just called or said <laughs> something. Well, I think she's riding in a car right now. Well, oh. th now she knows. Okay, Mike? Yes. Thank, thank you very much. Thank guys. you. Okay. All right. It's 7 after 11 on WGN. Yeah, Norty. Yeah, Roy. Yo. Hello, Roy, and hello, Jerry. Hi there. I called, and I don't think a lot of Jerry's fans are aware of this unless they've been out to Las Vegas. About seven years ago, we took our daughter to Vegas for her 18th birthday, and we were fortunate enough to get into the Jerry Lewis show, and I forgot which hotel it was at. It doesn't make any difference. But Jerry's act in Las Vegas is the only act that I know of that he doesn't say an off-color word or an off-color joke. And he is funnier than 90% of all of them out there without going into the off-color business. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And, Jerry, I wanted to ask you, uh, is th was this your own idea to do this? You mean to work that way? Yes. Well, it's just something that I believe. I think that if you've got some ability, you don't have to go the other way. I think because an audience demands it in today's scheme of things in our permissive society, you can either go with that or choose to do, be your own man. And I'm not about to do as I'm dictated. You know, one of the problems we have is uh, a guy will do uh, The Tonight Show, and uh, he will do only that that you can get away with on television, and he can be very funny and witty. And an unsuspecting person will then go to see The Nightclub Show, and, hey, this yeah. isn't the same guy. It, terrific and uh, we've been following your career for as many years as, as, as you've been on the stage in fact even at the Shapery <laughs> which which goes back a long time well it's nice to know there's someone out there as old as I am Naughty <laughs> just about just about <laughs> thanks guy a little short thank you very much to you and yours Jerry thank you same to you we appreciate Naughty's call hey Joe I know you've been waiting a long time thank you yeah. well I wanted to ask Jerry uh, there's a movie you did with uh, Hans Conrad Hans Conrad yeah the singing lesson? Huh? Are you talking about the singing lesson? Yeah. Yeah, that was... Everything breaks. Yeah, yeah that was... I don't remember the title of it, okay? Well, I'm going crazy because if it's ever on, I want to watch it. Well, I wrote it, so I, I promise you that it was the Patsy. The Patsy? Yeah, mm -hmm. I wrote it, I directed it, I was also the idiot working with Hans Conrad. <laughs> that was great. And Thank I you. I have one more thing yeah. uh, that I missed on the telephone that you didn't do, and, and that was singing uh, You'll Never Walk Alone at the end. Well, I'm, I mean... I love doing it, and I love doing it for my kids, but we tried we tried to do some things just a little differently, uh -huh. only because the market is such that your viewers are really demanding you do some things differently. Uh -huh. I, I, I really have to admit that it was not something I was happy about abandoning this last year. I'll probably do it again. Great. 
Thanks, Joe. Thank Spe- you. Speaking of singing, uh, I now I can remember I was a disc jockey in Boston, and, and I remember when we got the record uh, of uh, "Rockabye Your Baby." Yeah. And I remember playing it. I remember it like it went to number one and sold a million copies. Two, then three, <laughs> and then, then four. <laughs> really? That yeah. many? But I never knew until I read the book last week how you happened to do that song. In fact, I didn't know that, that you even knew Judy. Oh, yeah. Or the, t- briefly, tell a story. Yeah. Well, Judy was sick. She was at, in Vegas, and I was, Dean and I had split up about two weeks before I went to Vegas just mm-hmm. to relax for a couple of days. And Judy became terribly ill with a bad strep throat. Sid left called me and said, would you please go on for her? standing room only in the joint and so on i said go on with what i don't know that i i would know what to, the hell to do you know i've been with a, uh, my partner for 10 years i haven't even decided whether i'm going to be a performer or not caught me in the period of two weeks right after the break and he said you know how judy feels about you and we really are trapped okay i walked over there and i did about 65 minutes of all kinds of nonsense. I wish I could tell you what I did, but it was, again, one of the best performances I've ever given. But I couldn't get off the stage. So I said to the conductor in the pit, I said, what does Judy do? What songs did she do when she performed? He said, well, you can do uh, Come Rain to Come Shine. You can do Rockabye. What key do you do it in? I said, how the hell do I know? I said, play it. I'll sing it. And that audience just went nuts because I happened to have known the lyrics. My dad loved the song. And I went into a studio a week later and made the record just as a gag and uh, sent it to Decca to see what they thought mm. of it. Well, you and did the whole, did you get down on your knees and do the whole Jolson Oh, I bed? did everything. <laughs> I can, I'm sure I did everything. Yeah. I was so frightened that night that I really can't recall exactly how everything came down. You see, that, you just said something a lot of people are going to say, hey, come on, Jerry Lewis frightened, stage fright, nervous, he... You know, he shouldn't be. He's been doing it for so long. Yeah, talk to Neil Armstrong. When I saw him at NASA and he said, when I put my foot out of that capsule, Hmm. I thought that I was going to die. I was so frightened. And then he made the prolific sounds one step. Well, who's going to believe that he was frightened? Yeah. He took that trip 240,000 miles to the moon. And then got scared in the last 10 seconds? <laughs> I, think it, I think it's fair to say that I would be a little frightening. T- well, look, they tell me that you've got to leave in about three minutes. I, I do want to share one other story. And again, we're just hitting the highlights of Jerry's story, Jerry Lewis in person. And that was the time you... Uh, something, let's see, somebody called you and asked you to go see Stan Laurel. Yes. And you, you were kind of hesitant about doing that at first. I thought I was imposing, yeah. Because I was, I was such, he was a hero. I was in awe of Stan Laurel's greatness. And when I heard that he was that ill, I went to see him. And for the last four or five years of his life, we had very close moments, great deal of time. I learned a great deal about how to deal with the one nasty letter from Stan. Really? I learned a lot about uh, self-esteem from Stan. I learned an awful lot of lovely things from him. Why was he such a recluse in his later years? Because of his stroke. When, When Ollie died, and they called him. He had the stroke on the telephone. When they said Ollie died, his whole left side was paralyzed. Now, if you want to talk about the beauty of humanity, Stan Laurel did not want any children of any age to see him other than the way he wanted them to remember him. Hmm. He wanted them to remember him as the silly, skinny, crying, derby, toting idiot. 
and to drag a leg and to walk with that stroke, he felt that was misrepresentation and he also felt that it would be I said, Stan, you may run into four people. You've played to 10 billion people. He said, but there are going to be two or three people that would be upset. And he stayed indoors, not to upset maybe two or three passerbys. Now, that's something special. All right. Speaking of things special, we, we still haven't seen Slapstick. We will. Um, and we got King of Comedy. And Smorgasbord. And Smorgasbord. What else? Is Jerry Lewis going to be doing for the next six months or a year? Or well, I was hoping I could get a job uh, at the Shoe Tan Camera Company. <laughs> I mentioned Shoe Tan yeah, tell, because when tell I the story. when I was at the Rio Cabana, I went to Shoe Tan, the nicest people in the world. I bought a little eight millimeter movie camera on time. I think at the time it cost about sixty some dollars. It took me a year and four months to pay it off, and even with their death threat notes because I owed him a buck forty each month. <laughs> I knew when I had that camera that I was going to be a motion picture director. I played around the hotel. I stayed at the St. Clair Hotel, which was adjacent to the Chez Paris while I was appearing at the Rio Cabana. I was shooting lobby shots, ashtrays, ladies sitting, sleeping, whatever. And that was the beginning of my love of film. And I have never come to the city of Chicago without going to the Shootan Camera Company to say hi to that beautiful family and usually leave two or three thousand because <laughs> they know I, it's like I've got to do that. I love going there. Hey, listen, this has been good. We've been here about an hour and 20 minutes. I, uh, I feel better than I did at five minutes of ten. I hope those in the audience do. And thank you, Ron. You'll do it again. I'll look forward to it. Okay, guys. And thank you again for all your help. I appreciate your thanks. All right, Jerry Lewis, In Person. That's the name of the book.